We are no one. We are everyone. And we are invisible. We convinced ourselves that they were gone. But they were just hibernating. They came for everybody. All police. Are we safe? I guess we have ourselves a reckoning. What are you two talking about? Oh, nothing. Just the end of the world. TikTok, TikTok, everyone. Welcome back to We Watch Watchmen. Uh, we had some technical difficulties and some uh, other things going on, so we're going to uh, merge the next two episodes into one episode of the podcast. It's a lot to cover. A lot happened. <laughs> a lot of mind-blowing stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, but we're going to be covering, covering episodes seven and eight uh, as best we can after scraping our brains off the floor. Um, but joining me tonight... Uh, the director of photography of the David Cronenberg production of Fog Dancing, Mr. Aaron Neuwirth. My head just exploded, so I, I don't have too much to say. I'm trying to put the pieces all back together again. Scanners he probably made after that, right? The creator of Trunky and Tusky, Mr. Rich the Chub Toad Shelby. Yo. And the narrator who sounded eerily like David Attenborough for that 10-hour documentary on Dr. Manhattan. <laughs> but no, it was actually Daryl Taylor. Uh, I just, just made my I was my nose was bleeding because my brain just melted. Yeah. <laughs> um, this episode is called uh, almost an uh, almost a godlike awe? No. Almost no, an, an, an almost, almost religious, religious awe. awe. Thank yeah. you. Which is actually a quote from the actual uh, the graphic novel about how Dr. Manhattan was regarded um, during, you know, his, uh, you know, I don't know, reign of terror, if you want to call it, in Vietnam, uh, what have you. His uh, deployment. Yes, okay, there you go. His vacation in Vietnam. Uh, speaking of which, the this episode starts with the Watchmen logo, uh, seen with old video-type uh, filtering, or like maybe a film strip, and we see the history of Dr. Manhattan uh, as, as I said, as part of, as we find out later, it's part of a 10-hour documentary series about him. Uh, we see Dr. Manhattan on the moon with the headline saying the right stuff, which, of course, is a, you know, a reference to you know, the Tom Wolfe book and the movie, uh, the same. Uh, we also explained about uh, Manhattan lithium. Uh, we see ads from the 60s and early 70s, that style of ad of Manhattan lithium cars and watches. And uh, we see, you know, we get this like whole like documentary history of Dr. Manhattan in a nutshell. And as the camera pulls away, we see it's playing on a CRT set in the chest of a Dave Gibbons Dr. Manhattan standee uh, in a video store in Vietnam. Um, a, VS, a VHS video store, by the way. Thank you very much. I was very happy to see that. Uh, we pan across the video <laughs> store, and I, I did a lot of freeze framing here. Uh, we see two uh, cartoon characters, Trunky and Tusky. Uh, 
both both elephants. Um, you know, re- you know, referencing of course Lady True, the elephant, and never forgetting and stuff. And I I, I seriously like uh, stopped on this. There's a film version of the um, uh, Max Shade novel Fog Dancing, mm-hmm. directed by David Cronenberg, according to the box. I so, did. That, that made that made me smile. Like I, I did yeah, like what a what I, nice I like detail. this universe thing. There, it's like Cronenberg made a movie out of this. Can I just reach in there and borrow that tape? Thanks. <laughs> and then we also see a tape called Silk Swingers, which looks like it might, it might be uh, influenced by uh, Silk Spectre. You know? Oh, for sure. No, that's something she collected herself. I, I know. I'd imagine. Maybe. Oh yeah. Is that a thing that she says? Does Lori say that, or does um, her her mom say that? Like, as far as her like, mom. then she like she her mom collects those things, right? Right. Her mom uh, collected well, them. Yeah. In fact, Dan Dryberg at the end of Watchmen gives her, uh, he gives she gives him a few to take with him uh-huh. as, a, as something yeah. to remember her by. But yeah, it's like two, uh, two on like, Bibles. Like like Carrie Fisher did that. She collect all like the weird stuff, like yeah. that are like fan or... The deluxe edition of that movie in the video store silk um, comes with like you know reproductions of those little comics. So <laughs> it kind of looked like one of those eighties uh, cheesy direct to video R rated. Yeah. Oh, for sure. We used to go to Chinatown in New yeah. York. We used to run exactly. out there and, and get exactly. movies. Or you go to the mom and pop video store where they wouldn't you know quite card you every time. But we see young Angela there on the spinner rack, um, about 10 years old. Uh, but she doesn't want any of those. She wants Sister Knight. That's right. The nun with an MF and gun. <laughs> and I love the box art for this. It's just yeah. so very, like, I mean, if Pam Greer wasn't starring in that movie, she should have been. I'm saying. Or right. Maybe, maybe Tamara Dobson, you know. It was really nice, uh, nicely uh, executed. Um, she takes it up to the store clerk, and the clerk says her parents are not going to let her watch it, but she uh, buys it anyway. And uh, we see, as it pans out, it's uh, VVN Day, Victory Vietnam Day. This the the um the little girl, by the way, it's played by the Darla, who was in Shazam, the little girl that played Darla. Oh, that's what oh. she looks so familiar to me. At, I at, I first, at first, I thought it was the little girl at the beginning of Us. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, no, it's not. And then I'm like, oh, it's the Shazam girl. That's who it is. And I'm like, which makes sense. It's DC. <laughs> right. Um, as she's up uh, coming out of the video store, uh, James Brown's Living in America. Yep. Is playing. <laughs> Great. Wait to see Apollo Creed on a TV screen. <laughs> and uh, there are banners and balloons everywhere. Um, she uh, stops to uh, Angela stops to watch a puppet show of Doctor Manhattan. Um, of holding off the the, uh, the armies uh, with his powers, and we see the uh, the name, the title of this week's episode, an almost religious awe superimposed in the puppet uh, the puppet theater. And uh, remember how wrong it was when I was saying like there will be an opening credit sequence on the second episode, I'm sure, and that's not mm-hmm. been the case. <laughs> no. <laughs> There's even an end credit sequence in the, in the next episode, which oh, yeah. we haven't had before either. Um. As she's uh, trying to cross the street, a couple guys whiz by on motorcycles, and she almost gets clipped, but I guess that's par for the course in Saigon. Um, Angela walks up to her parents, and uh, she, they're like, Let us, let's see, and she shows Sister Knight, and uh, the parents are just resigned. It's like she's tried so many times, uh, but her dad explains to her that people who wear masks are dangerous, and we see a little flash here of him as the little boy uh, with Will Reeves, you know, trying to wipe the stuff off of his face, right? Mm-hmm. 
Um, there are a lot of little flashes like that. It's almost like, you know, as Angela's reliving these memories, there are still flashes of wills. Yeah. Uh, that yeah connect, for sure. Where they connect up. Um, as she takes the uh, tape back, she sees the puppeteer uh, give a guy a, on a bike a backpack. Um, there are a lot of quick cuts here, including uh, POV from the um, uh, uh, guy on the bicycle. We and it adds to the angst, too. It's yeah, shot totally. really well. It, it, it absolutely did. And they kept using a bicycle bell over and over to mm -hmm. like increase the tempo. Uh, but we see clips from like Will's and Angela's histories over and over. And then the cyclist uh, yells, Death to the Invaders and suicide bombs the whole block including Angela's parents, and she watches helplessly as they explode in front of her, pretty much. Yeah, with no, like, expression. She plays, that kid plays it so well. Yeah. Like, Oh, yeah, she's that's, she's great. That, that's that's why it got me when I realized it was her, because, like, that's a very polar opposite character from the type of role she has. And she's mm -hmm. saying, I'm like, okay, they're doing a good job here. Yeah, yeah, totally. And this is almost like, almost like exactly fulfilling what Lori told her uh -huh. Uh -huh. about yeah. the, wearing a mask, uh, covering yep. up some injustice that was done to them. Mm -hmm. I mean, she's literally holding a copy of Sister Night while this happens. Yep. So, yeah, her origin like, story is right there. Lori right there. totally called it, like 110%. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, absolutely correct. Um, as she cuts from being blasted um, back from the explosion, she's falling forward to the floor, hitting the floor of a room at Triu Industries. Um, Lady True comes to help her and tells her this is the fifth time she's had to go over all this with her. Uh, Angela keeps trying to say the same thing, and Lady True says, well, the last time you said this and this, and evidently she's been going over and over because she's getting her memory back. She yeah, Angela, that Angela talks about how she has this condition. She takes off a shirt and she has all these tattoos all over her. It's very, I mean, no, yeah, a lot of Polaroids. A lot of, yeah. <laughs> Joe Pants walks in at one point. <laughs> I'm your friend. I'm your friend. <laughs> anyway, Angie. <laughs> um, she tells her. She explains that she got there because um, Agent Blake brought her there since she was her drug that she was ODing on nostalgia, and she tells her not to touch the really thick Sunny D tube. That's <laughs> sticking out of her arm <laughs> because it's her treatment. And then she gives her a tutorial injection, which I thought was a neat idea. Yeah, because she's tired of asking, answering the same questions over Right. So we get a nice CGI video of mm. um, what they call recollective infestation. <laughs> uh, they show, like, the... the, the, the um, the the you know the healthy neurons is red and pulsing and then like this almost looks like a plaque on them that needs to be zapped away, um, and uh, as Angela wakes up from the tutorial, she says, "Don't effing do that to me again," and uh, True says, "That's what you said last time." <laughs> um, Angela wants to talk to Will after you know experiencing, but uh, True says that it's a bad idea. Because it's going to be uh, it's going to be hard for her to figure out where he begins and she ends. Um, True asks her what was the memory that knocked her out of bed, and she lies. The thing they're so she's so adversarial with True. Like even yeah. at the end of this episode, where True is like laying all her cards on the table for her, 
Yeah. Angela's still like, F you. I'm I'm not, you know, this I get the it. thing I ever heard. I, you know? I mean, given the things that she's gone through, the things that mm-hmm. she's hiding, and the fact that there is, I mean, regardless of how forthcoming she appears to be trying to be, she's still making some giant mystery clock in the middle of a city. It's like, okay, I don't know you. I don't, right. I don't know what you want, and I'm trying to hide a giant secret, let alone protect my family. And mm-hmm. there's like horrible racists like out there also trying to do shit to me. And I got, you know, Sally Jupiter over Lori Jupiter over here doing the Lori Blake over here doing things like I can't like can't just right. be like Here's oh, no, my I get it. <laughs> on top <laughs> of the guy that she trusted is, you know, she, yeah, she's just got turned over by, yeah, by, by, by looking glass. Yeah. Yeah, by, yeah. Closes allies. But I get, I get it. She has a lot of balls in the air. Uh, it just seems like every time. True might be getting through to her in this episode, like when they're talking, she backs away. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. a little, like a little sarcastic jab or what have you. And there's also a weighted reason of why she's like this that we don't even know until, you know, later on. Yeah, that kind of goes to why she's so protective and right of her secrets. Well, Cal shows up to True Industries at the uh, door. He sees Red Scare and Pirate Jenny there, like having a sandwich or something. That dude's always eating, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Brad they Pitt say that. Too. I was just about to say they probably played by Brad Pitt. Yeah, just as handsome. <laughs> Who can tell? He's wearing a mask, right? You, so um, sometimes you can just tell. Yeah. <laughs> I know you're beautiful under that mask. No look, look at uh, look at uh, Phantom of the Opera. You know, perfect example. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, that was in that American Hero story. I know. Whatever you look like under that mask, you're beautiful. Or cat. It's actually just a plastic bag wearing a mask. Yeah. Right. That's an American beauty joke. We can keep going. Yeah. (laughs) Cal shows up to True Industries to find out what the heck happened to Angela. Um, They come out. They put a hula hoop on the ground. (laughs) I know. Just throw it down. They go. He's like, step away, please. (laughs) Step back from the hula hoop. And um, True's daughter. Uh, uh, buying um, shows up as a hologram. Mm-hmm. Not even her. Not even true. Nope. Not even true. Um, tells him that uh, Angela's okay. She's being treated, but they're on Millennium Clock lockdown. Um, and whatever that means. I mean, because, yeah. you know, clocks, they need to be locked down, right? Sure. Uh huh. Anyway, <laughs> so. Cal starts yelling for Agent Blake because he knows that she's listening somewhere. And sure enough, she is listening to uh, audio of Angela's nostalgia trip. Um, in case, you know, people who were watching the show didn't read Pedipedia and find out that she knew everything that happened. Right. Uh, you know, here here's your uh, explanation. Uh, meanwhile, PD, speaking of whom, uh, radios Blake from Looking Glass's bunker. And uh, he's like... I love the way he words this, too. You know that that theory you had about <laughs> yeah. how he might have been working with the 7th Cavalry? <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure he's not. <laughs> I called it. I told you. I know. Here's, we were all like, will he survive? Oh, my God. Here's my question right now. Mm. Why have we not seen more of Lube Man on this show? I, mean, I, I, saying, I right? agree. Or pretty much. We? Lube Man right now for me is the Poochie of Watchmen. Every time I'm looking at Watchmen, there's no Lube Man. I'm like, where's Lube Man? Like, that's what I'm asking myself. Lube Man might ask himself why, why there's no Lube Man. He, 
He's greasing the wheels of justice. I'm checking Twitter right now. I'm going to see if there's a Twitter for Lou Man. <laughs> oh, there is. I've seen it. There's actually a subreddit for Lube Man. Oh, my goodness. What are we going to do for with all these Lube Man t-shirts and, and bumper stickers? And- Instead of all this Baby Yoda, we need to see more Lube Man. There's a that's Where that's Is what... Lube Man Twitter page. That's what we need. <laughs> it has that's 500 followers. Yeah. Um, PD says he counts five dead uh, 7K guys. Um, but one of them is doesn't have his mask on. The rest are stalled the masks. That's how he knows there's 7K. Um, Lori tells him to talk to him later. Talk to her, you know, stand by and uh, talk to her later. So she basically just leaves the radio in her car because she's going off to talk to Judd's wife. Now here is um, where where something I wondered from the beginning of the, the show. Hmm. Why would you get Frances Fisher and only have her in like that tiny bit in the first right. episode? Right. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, got your you could, answer. I could have chalked it up to, you know, just that there will be like flashback scenes or whatnot that'll continue to involve her. So it's like it's good to have a recognizable face or whatnot. But yeah, also, you know, in making her <laughs> necessary for the plot makes a lot of sense as well. Yeah, yep. she's a really power, you know, good actress. Um, Blake confronts her in the living room. Yeah, because she also uh, wears a mask, right? She tells him who killed Judd. That was Will Reeves, and she explained who Will Reeves was. And why he was hooded justice, and that and she just lays it all out. Cyclops, yeah. Judd was in Cyclops. Cyclops equals seven K Keen. Uh, and Judd's wife is kind of like, oh, is this the part where I'm supposed to act all surprised or whatever? Because you know, she's been on since Jump, and she pulls like this old style remote, <laughs> like for the old school TVs that you know, real clicky remotes, and she just starts clicking it. Click, click, and, and at first, Lori's like, "What the hell are you doing?" Yeah. <laughs> and she I was like, "Lori, get up!" Yeah, I know. And then the the couch just kind of jumped a little bit. Yeah. And she presses it one more time, and it's a trap door. <laughs> I'm not going to say it breaks the episode, but it's like, you know, you are a superhero. <laughs> you you could have got up off the couch <laughs> if someone's like, you, if someone's using their clicker at you, it seems yeah. like it's time to do something. <laughs> Obviously, it was a nice. Don't exist in this world, or she would have expected right. well, before, that. Before, before this, Lori has been able to call out everybody. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, they've that's, shown that's her. Why. So this was like. That's why it got to me a little bit. But. Yeah, that's why I like. Well, I almost the, wonder if Lori knew, and she set herself up for like I she's got an overall it. plan. I don't think she did either, but it's a thought. I, but it I was mean, just a nice thing to see. Yeah, she, I mean, she's playing some three-dimensional chess with a lot of the characters, but I don't, oh, think, she is. I don't think it extends to, well, if they have an ambush for me, I might as well fall for it. Like, I don't yeah. think it goes that far. Not I without Lube Man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if Lube Man was in her back pocket. But, right exactly. But, what exactly. I mean, she knew it would appeal to Keen's pride to have her, like, there when he took, you know, enacts his plan against Dr. Manhattan, right? Mm-hmm. She knew he would probably bring her there to even, she even admonishes him for monologuing later, right? She knew that I I I I don't know. I think she might have kind of played into their hands to find out where they were. Yeah, you're not okay. I don't disagree there. I think like I think she wants to find out where this rabbit hole is and wants right. to dive into it. At the same time, forcefully diving into it by letting yourself get you know clicked into a hole is yeah. that's, a, that's a bit much. I, just, I think I she wanted to get 
heard Again, it's not it. it's not breaking the show for me by any means. It's not like no, the episode's no, 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 bad no, no, now. No. It's just like, eh. <laughs> but I can see them getting her saying that because it's the thing you 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 say all that stuff even if they pretend that they don't you know know what you're talking about. Then you watch them to see what they do, right? So she makes people scatter. You know that's that's a that's Detective One Hundred and One, right? I just gotta say, man. I, I'm proud. I'm, I know I'm the oldest one on the podcast, mm. and I remember those old school clickers like that. Oh, so she must I have do. had that trap door I for do like too. at least at least thirty years, uh-huh. right? <laughs> I remember it. I do remember. In the seventies, I remember Ka-chum. going next door Ka-chum. to my grandfather's for the color TV set and had that big old with the click, you, you click, could click. not pick that push that button. You knew what oh, button yeah. it was. All yeah. I know and is you, I wanted to Lawrence Welk yeah. off the yeah. TV. Anyway, but that's I mean. I wonder how long ago she put that trap door in, and like, what she thought? Oh, it's yeah. been there a while. When will I? Yeah, exactly. When yeah. will I ever use this? Yeah, yeah but, but that anyway. cheap that cheap white supremacist labor didn't really help though, because it didn't oh, work on the no, first try. <laughs> <laughs> so lazy. Um, she calls uh, Keen and says, "You know, uh, Lori Blake just stopped by. You want me to kill her or what?" Uh, we cut back to uh, True, uh, Vivarium, I guess. Uh, it's nine hours until the Millennium Clock is going to do whatever it's going to do. They've been very vague about that. Oh, yeah. Um, True's daughter is pulling out flashcards to test Angela's empathy. I love this scene, though. She's like, you know, which which you know, which is more trustworthy? Uh, the guy with the candy. Why? Because no <laughs> one flies a kite by themselves. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah, she's a detective. That's the way she would look at things. It also maybe reminded me of Men in Black, though, the first one. Yeah. Yep. When he's going through the, the shooting range. Yeah, did it, did it, yeah, like her and the way she played it, you know, like, like it reminded me of how Will Smith played it, too. Like the little girl holding, yeah. like, calculus and, and physics Qu- books. Quantum physics books. Quantum yeah. physics, yeah. <laughs> and I'd appreciate it to get off my back about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the last uh, pictures are exactly the same. And it triggers a flashback in Angela uh, to the Vietnamese orphanage where she's painting Dr. Manhattan dolls, mm-hmm. ironically enough. Yeah. And uh, they they call Angela out from the group, out to the street, and there are two police there. And they want her to ID uh, the puppeteer who helped the suicide bomber. And, you know, they're, you know, she, they're saying, you know, she's... Not to be afraid. And uh, she said, she's not. Uh, they put a, uh, they take a hood off of him. And she says, nope, that's him. That's definitely him. And they put a uh, the hood back on him and take him around the corner to kill him. And Angela asks the uh, cop that's remained, you know, left behind her, she could stay and listen. Yeah. That's the kid that worries me. Right. Which, which it kind of sets it up on the surface as this is the origin of her wanting to become a cop. Except for it's not. It's the origin of somebody that's going to abuse the badge and, you know, go outside of the trust in the law idealism that are, that. Well, uh, I think the other thing, also, the other thing also is for kids that don't, when they've been through a trauma and they don't show any emotion, that's when they worry about those kind of kids because they just take trauma yeah. and just keep burying it down more and more. Yeah. Every time something happens, they just. Or, or they're Damien from the Omen. Or they're Damien from the Omen. Damien, I did it for you. It's all for you, Damien. It's all for you. Happy birthday. Um, while while this is going on, the, the Viet Cong cop gives her a badge. Says, come see me when you get a little older. And it snaps 
Angela back into uh, present-day reality. Uh, Bond is asking her why she's a cop. And um, she tells uh, Angela about her dreams of being a scared old woman when she sleeps. Uh, Didn't she say something about you? What did you? Where did you go? Was it your memories, or was it, or was it Will's? Right? Yeah. She she said my own. Um, but then uh, she's telling Angela about her dreams at night when she's hooked up to her Sunny D machine. Of uh, I'm sorry, I can't help but think of it that way. I, I know. Find it. God knows. It looks like a big tube of Sunny D, man. It does. Um, and she tells her about dreams of uh, being a scared old woman. And we get this really cool transition from Angela's eyes mm-hmm. to these stained glass windows in the top. Of I was Austin. like, what is that about? I thought in the trailer it was some other. I was like, what crazy thing did you do to her for that transition? But I didn't realize it was just going to be that. We are at the trial of Ozymandias. Yeah. Hoy polloi. What have uh, you done? Day 365 of the trial. <laughs> um the game warden is the judge. Uh, one of the Miss Crookshanks is the madam counselor, and she lays out all of his crimes, um, including, you know, the squid, uh, all the people, all the other, uh, you know, clones that he had killed, and then he had broken the major commandment, thou shalt not leave. Um, so there's this great oration scene. As she sums up, and uh, they ask him if he has anything to say in his defense. And, and he gives a really long soliloquy, and it just it brought us all to tears, right, guys? I mean, it just oh, it oh, was yeah, a beautiful yeah. piece of writing. I cried. I just kept crying. Was... I, couldn't, I couldn't breathe afterwards. It, was, <laughs> it took my breath I, away. <laughs> I have a question about this, and I don't know. I mean, it's, while there were things about this I thought I was amused by, um, what did this trial have any meaning for for our story i just that's it just seemed extra well i mean we find in the next episode like he ba- basically begs you know he says you know john that sounds like paradise and he finds out mm-hmm. paradise isn't all it's cracked up to be yeah. right i mean we get more about the warden in the next episode which i think is important too as far as mm-hmm. why it's right. being yeah. to this level but i mean it's fine I, I hear what you're saying because it's like when you look at the grand scheme of things it's like we're taking time to focus on this specifically and i mean it's yeah it's i mean i didn't hate it it just yeah, it was like what did i really gain in this episode I, I, for I, that <laughs> i think it's a i think it's a very overdone piece not overdone but i think it's a very like processed piece of work as far as showing the uh, without like going into like full detail giving you kind of like a lot of a lot of shoe leather uh regarding like ozymandias's world and like what he goes through and how the like his how his how his society functions as far as having all these clones around and deliberating what i don't know why this didn't strike me until just recently but are you guys familiar with the patrick mcguin show the prisoner yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. oh yeah yeah Yeah, i watched a little of it I've been thinking about that mainly because AMC keeps showing me previews of it, so I'm like, all right. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, Watchmen. Okay, I get it. Like, I see what you're doing. <laughs> it seems it almost seems like a, like a, a retooling of some of the themes there. You know? Yeah, some of that. Um, so anyway, Ozzy lets out a big old fart. Now, do you think uh, Jeremy Irons went method on this and did it himself, or do you think he had a fart double? No, I'm sure he did method. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure he you know prepared himself for this. He, he trained and everything. He was ready. Either that, or they had a good foley guy that queued it up. 
He got some um, Rorschach baked beans. Oh, you know he was eating that like <laughs> all through the. You yeah, know. He had some. He had some human bean juice inside of him. That's right. I guess so. Anyway, it was uh, loud and long, and uh, he says the defense rests. Uh, the game warden counters and says, I'm sorry, uh, jury, but he has to be judged by a uh, group of his peers. So he lets in a jury of pigs into the courtroom and then grabs one and asks one uh, what he thinks, uh, what she thinks, I'm sorry, the verdict is. And the pig says to him, guilty. Hey, and joining us, <laughs> straight from Europa, that's why he's running late. I, I Russ, felt like that's where I've been. <laughs> Russ Latham. Glad you can make it, buddy. Glad to be here. We're just getting back to the part where um, we they transition back to the Ozymandias statue at True Industries. And Angela is following her giant Sunny D-tube uh, <laughs> to the door. And she's pounding on the door thinking uh, the will's in there. But uh, True opens up the door at the end of the uh, hall and it's like, are you hungry? And they sit and talk for a while. Uh, True says she has a secret plan to save humanity. And it starts in Oklahoma. And, you know, Angela, of course, is dubious. And True alludes to Cal's accident uh, about amnesia in, as being as being extremely rare, unless you're in, uh, you know, soap operas, right? Right. I do have to object to the fact that even in a fictional world, Oklahoma would be vital to the safety savior of humanity. Just saying. Okay. It's a Bill, Texas. Bill McGonnell would disagree with you, sir. <laughs> oh, I know he would. Oh, great. That's just where we need some Oklahoma beef. <laughs> I living in Texas, the Texas OU beef is is a real and uh, and it is genuine thing. Yes. Is it as strong as the Nick Cannon M M&M and M beef? Oh, uh, that's that it, it may not be <laughs> it may not be stronger, but it's longer. But uh, there is respect because we appreciate Oklahoma for sucking so hard to keep Texas from falling in the Gulf. Okay, all right. Yeah. We go. Down, down about twenty percent there, squirrely. <laughs> go Thunder! Right. <laughs> um, True also tells Angela that Will. Um, Angela's like, well, if he didn't want me to take the pills, why did he leave them? True says uh, she knew, <laughs> he didn't expect her to take them all at once. <laughs> Oops. And then uh, Angela kind of counters her by asking her whose memories are she putting into her daughter. Which she, which shuts her up right away. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, True tells her that Bien uh, is a clone of her mom. Dun dun dun! Let's talk about soap operas. Yeah, and is giving she's giving her back her own memories. So she she said she wanted her mom and dad with her at her moment of triumph, but she won't say anything about her dad. Is her yeah. dad possibly blue? Mm, I, don't I don't think so. True I don't blue? get that impression. Yeah, I don't think that's. I I found it interesting, creepy, and pretty much on point for her to say that that was her mother that she cloned like right uh i mean we all knew that there was something up with her mm -hmm. uh, yeah. and it had to be something like like this wasn't shocking news to me uh when when that came out it was like par for the course for lady true yeah but it makes me wonder who the dad is because she said you know her parents yes 
She wanted her parents with her in her moment of triumph or whatever. Maybe Vite? Well, for a while, I thought it might be Blake because, you yeah, know... Be, uh, yeah, um, but, and all that. Yeah, yeah but, that's what I kind of... But there was this thing on Wikipedia that was about that, too. Unless she cloned her, cloned the comedian, I don't know. He, he's dead. We talked about this before, where I, like, I get that that's a possibility, but at the same time, I'm just not into the whole like every single aspect needs to be connected. Right. Like some things can just be things. I'm with you. Yeah. Just be things. Yeah. Be. You know, it's possible they had more than one genius person on the planet. You know, besides Adrian Veidt. You know what I mean? And true, still will not. There's four hours left to go on the. Uh, the clock and uh, the Millennium Clock and Truth still won't tell Angela what it does. We then cut to Lori Blake chained to a chair at uh, 7th Cavalry Central in the abandoned uh, mall. Um, on the wall is the Cyclops symbol, but it also has the Dr. Manhattan circle and dot in it. Yeah. It's like combined. Um, and we see the uh, portal from before that Looking Glass found. But it's definitely more built out. It looks like there's a cage around it now. Um, Keen comes to talk to Lori. Lori is still incredulous about the fact that it was an effing trap door. <laughs> and uh, then starts to call him out on his monologuing. And he's just like, she's just like, I just don't give a shit. <laughs> and uh, Keen says, oh, you, of all people, will give a shit. And then uh, he goes on this, like, racist thing about uh, life is hard for a white man these days. So I, I thought I'd... That's definitely echoing uh, current news. Yes, definitely. Wow, well, yeah. And then he says, so I thought I'd try being a blue one. I was um, playing a small violin during that segment, too. Oh, sure, sure. <laughs> Not me. Uh, we see a. <laughs> I just I, I love Laurie's. Uh, you know, it was very Venture Brothers. You know, we call him on his monologue. Oh yeah. Stuff. You know, I'm not gonna say because the actor James Wolk. I'm not gonna say he's bad here, um, but I will say like there was never a part of I, none of us like really ever thought he was like on the level. I like no. to think right. And no. So, like, no. And, and like no. it. And he's not he's not a big enough figure for me to be like too concerned. It's just like, yeah, all right, this is like a bad guy, but it's like the less of him. <laughs> just, I, I'm just happier kind of moving over. It's like, yeah, I get it. Bad guy, but bad he, plot. Whatever. Yeah, he plays. I mean, he plays the uh, uh, what politician, but he has the look. I mean, that look, you know, like that polished politician look. He does everything. from the and hair want, to the clothes to the words. But, he said. And you're right. You're right. There is no way you, he read other than a heavy. Yeah. From from Jump Street. Yeah. So and it just kind of makes him inherently less interesting because it's like for, yeah. you know from word jump you're like this guy sucks like so it's like all right. This is, I mean even the shooting at the funeral. I mean even that. Yeah, with it's just not my it's not my favorite part of the uh, parts of the episode involving it, him. Again, I like James. Like he, mm-hmm. I, I think he can be good in things. Is here is just like yeah. all right, like yeah, it's a necessary evil. I would say it almost made me feel like think went. No, this is not going to work because they're going to show you how you know easily everyone knows this dude is you know not right. There's something wrong like with this guy. You can't and, be the master. And he, you know, he has a look of like younger. Uh, Oh, younger, um, oh, what's it, Kyle Chandler or something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so, sure. yeah. If Kyle Chandler was here, I'd be all about it, right? I'd be like, this guy, best episode every week because he's on here. But to him, I'm just like, okay. 
we cut back to Lady True's uh, compound. She's giving a speech before the Millennium Clock is uh, being turned on or what have you. She talks about a lot of her accomplishments. Microfusion spacecraft is one of the things she talks about. Um, but she says that nostalgia was one of her greatest failures because her original hope was that it would bring people together unburdened by the pain of their past. But the opposite was true. People just kept re-experiencing uh, like some of their most painful parts of their lives. So, you know, she considered that a failure. Um, meanwhile, while the speech is going on, Angela... Uh, traces her tube uh, back to that uh, that door, and she thinks Will is behind the door because uh, True alluded earlier that it was a living donor helping her get her memories together. She uh, is yelling and screaming, "We are Will, open the door! I want, I need to talk to you. You know, I had all your memories." She finds a rock and smashes her way in. She killer crocs it. That's what I call that. <laughs> she threw a rock at it. Yep. I almost hit him with a rock. It was a big uh, rock. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she smashes her way in and instead finds a sleeping elephant. Her tube is running into a wall. Behind that wall looks like a refrigerated gizmo of some sort. And then the tube is running out from the gizmo. Back out of the wall <laughs> into the elephant. My um, my notes read Angela hooked up to an elephant. The fuck? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they never forget. Yeah, like the the logic is there, and there's been like there's like it's been like hinted at all episode as far as like there's a lot of elephant stuff going on well, in the show. And <laughs> the true the true symbol for their is the company yeah. is an elephant head. And there's literally a fucking elephant in it. But even then, like, all of us are thinking, okay, he's, he's, you know, the guy's on the other end. Right, right. Then there's the obvious elephant in the room. That's that, yeah. I mean, this works on many levels. Oh, yeah, it's a nice joke as well as a what and a oh. I honestly didn't think it was Will behind there, but I sure as heck didn't expect an elephant. Yeah, I didn't. Anybody did. Yeah, I figured there'd be some kind of surprise, but I wasn't thinking there's an entire elephant. Yes. I thought, like, a jar or, you know, like some bizarre, you know, like, I don't know, squid in the like. Something oh, like that. Like, yeah, elephant. Elephant. Um, Angela has the same reaction that Aaron did. <laughs> <laughs> and pulls out her uh, Sunny D cord <laughs> and is f- falling to the floor. And she's having a, um, a flashback to being a little girl again. And uh, Grandma June is there to take her to take her home. This was so brutal. I'm I sorry. I know. It's terrible. Yeah, I, I was happy. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> One anyway, trauma, man. June takes her two burgers and borscht mm. for lunch. And uh, she says that, uh, you know, Angela says her dad never mentioned her. Uh, she cut him off after he joined the army. Uh, she had a heart attack and then tried to reach out to him again and found out he had a daughter. And now she's come to take her back to Tulsa. And, Even the uh, music was hopeful. Like, yeah, yeah the lighting, yeah. like the the burgers and borscht was really brightly colored and lit sunlight. Yeah, uh, she shows June the badge. She says she wants to be a policeman, and uh, the Sister Night VHS. She still has all this time. 
And she asks her, why this movie? And Angela says, because she kind of looks like me. But she's not allowed to watch. Right, but she's not allowed to watch it until she's older. But June says she's right. She does. You do kind of look like her. And um, they have a hollow notes playing every time you go away in the background here. Um, I just like to mention the music because it's so integral to this. Yeah, it is. Um, the, the the end of this, if I forget to mention the cover of Life on Mars, please yep. remind me because oh, it was good. It was beautiful. Uh-huh. Um, they uh, they load up uh, Angela into the the cab. Uh, June buckles her buckle, and as she walks around to the back of the cab to put her suitcase into the trunk, has a massive heart attack and dies there on the streets. Oh my gosh! Even the second watching, it still hurts to watch that. It's like, oh, here's some hope. Yeah. Nope. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Damn. Uh, Angela comes to on the floor. Uh, she takes off her cuff, sneaks into an elevator. It ends up in the pipeline from the Flash TV series. Oh, I'm sorry. It was a. It looks just like the pipeline from I the Flash the TV thing. series. Yep. Um, and at the end is a giant glowing globe. Um, Angela Watt approaches it and then kind of touches it. And as she touches it, she's accessing those Dr. Manhattan booths um, from all over the world. And the last one she accesses is Lori's. Um, you know, telling her, I don't know why you, you know, I keep telling you jokes because you're not listening anyway. You know, from earlier in the series. Um, as she's uh, doing this, True walks up and says, unanswered prayers that he ignores. Um, I know he's ignoring because Dr. Manhattan isn't listening. He's not on Mars. Uh, True tells Angela that Dr. Manhattan is hiding as a human, and then asks her, are we going to keep effing around? And, uh, Angela, you know, says, well, why, why Will? What's going on? Well, Will came to True because he needed, um, you know, allies to take down 7th Cavalry once he found out what was going to happen, what was going on. The 7th Cavalry is going to try and capture Dr. Manhattan, kill him, and then become him. And then True apologizes and says, I'm sorry, Angela, but I really am trying to save effing humanity. There, oh. the, um, I mean, it, 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 there's more to talk about, I guess, well, in the finale for sure, in, mm-hmm. in next episode. But the, the concept that they have of we're going to take him and become him, it, given how much it, race has been involved in this series, that's like the ultimate appropriation. It's like, oh yes. my god. Yeah. It's yeah. so like yeah. overboard cartoony, yet so fitting for both the time this series is coming out in, and just a reflection of history in general as far as like how certain types try to get ahead, which is by taking what others do. <laughs> and specifically yeah, others exactly. that are different from them, the very thing that they're fighting against to begin with. It's just so like out there. My question is, has she really been keeping this secret, or was there something that had to be triggered in her to remember? No, she, no, she knew. Okay, yeah. I, yeah. I mean, that's why I figured, but man, she did a good job. <laughs> I, I guess we'll get to it, but no, no, I'll say, I'll save my, I'll save it for later. Okay. The, um, Angela responds to True by saying, I'm leaving now. Because that's the craziest shit I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> and as she leaves, True is saying, I just told you 
that Dr. Manhattan is living here in Tulsa as a human, and you never even asked me who he was? And Angela doesn't say a word. She just turns and leaves. Nope. Watching this live, by the way, like when it was on, I'm just like I'm sitting on like pins and needles because I'm like, where is this Manhattan? Show me him right now! <laughs> like I'm so excited mm-hmm. to see like where this is going. I'm like, see, I, I don't know. I'm like, I'm going through like the rolodex of all the characters. I'm like, uh, it couldn't be him. It couldn't be him. I'm like, and then when I realized, ah, anyway, um, Angela leaves. She grabs the Range Rover from somewhere and. <laughs> <laughs> And Red Scare and Pirate Jenny are telling her she's under arrest. Uh, Requiem, Mozart's Requiem, begins playing in the background here. Um, she crashes. She's like, tell Scare, not to, tell Scare to move. I don't want to hurt him. And she just crashes right through his car. Um, she rushes home while this music is playing. Cal is asleep on the couch with a copy of For Whom the Bell Tolls on his chest. Yeah, I'm I wrote that down because that made me laugh. I was like, oh. Yeah, that was, that <laughs> that's, was that's, a good, that's a good That's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Angela wakes him up, tells him that, uh, to stop talking, and that it's time to come out of the tunnel. And, you know, Cal's like, you're on drugs, you don't know what you're talking about. Uh... You need, you know, you need to rest. And she calls him John. And Cal says, my name is not John. And she goes, if it helps at all, this was your idea. I'm so sorry. And then hits him in the head with a hammer. Oh, my God. This is where I had to pause it, pick my job <laughs> off the floor, yeah. and then watch it. <laughs> it. It makes so much sense in this moment. And it's also, I mean, and the next episode has plenty of sadness as well that we'll get to. But it, it's so sad to, like... Especially not knowing where it's going from this point, because you're just like, oh, she's gonna, like, something bad is going to happen to this man who just seems like the most innocent person. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm doing, like, he plays it really well here as far as yes. just having this complete obliviousness to what's happening, trying to understand his wife, trying to be reasonable. And all the while, it's like, I'm thinking through all the rest of the series and being like, Okay, this actually there, there's there's something that adds up here. I need to know what this formula is. And for, fortunately, we have a whole episode next week or next that like delves exactly into it. But it's just a really, you know, the split second you have for the audience to register the fact that oh, this is something's here now. This is a whole change of what we've kind of come to understand about this dynamic. And here it comes. I was just thinking, couldn't there have been like a less traumatic way other than <laughs> prying it out of his forehead with a claw hammer? Because you know, being a dad, I'm thinking, what if those kids came down the stairs? Yeah, really. <laughs> oh, hey, mommy's just prying open daddy's forehead with a claw hammer. Nothing to worry about, guys. Go on back to bed. Let's see, like, <laughs> see here. I mean, that's said, how else do you get it out? Yeah. Immediately. I mean, what? I, don't, I don't know, man. I guess they're going to use the dead shed and chainsaw it out of him. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Let if it was up the old pooper, that doesn't make the the, oh, the, the no. prospect any better. No. So she bashes his head in and pries out a uh, symbol that looks like his, um, you know, Doctor Manhattan symbol, the uh, the the, uh, the dots in the circle. And then after that's pried out of her forehead, she kind of gets bathed in this blue glow and says, "Hey, baby." We're in effing trouble. <laughs> I love <Yeah>. that ending. <laughs> that was the end of that episode. It's great. But, uh... Jaw drop. 
Yeah, I don't know. I don't normally call, I'll play the Nerdstradamus card, <laughs> but we did talk in episode three about Cal. Yeah. Uh, possibly being having some connection because that way he, he explained Judd's life. Remember? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. About it being nothing, it was nothing. and he was here. And, yeah. yeah. So I remember we said something about that back then. So I figured th- I didn't figure this. I didn't by any means. I'm not saying that at all. But I do. It's like casting wise, I'm just thinking. Well, you have this guy here. I, I like this actor, but he's also been in, like, notable things. Like, he can't just be, like, guy on the side this whole series, so there's got to be something for him to, like, do. And he's probably right. not Lube Man, because, I mean, look at him. So no. it's like, <laughs> what Definitely else? Definitely not Lube Man. No, that's Petey. His shoulders would get caught in that drain. Yeah, and, the, and then when you look at him, when you look at him, it's like, of course he's Dr. Manhattan. Have you seen his jaw? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. The next uh, episode, episode eight... The penultimate episode. <laughs> uh, a god walks into a bar. Now it's been written as lowercase a uh, capital letter bar, two different words. But the way it is written in the episode, it says it looks like it says a god walks into a bar, which yeah. is Angela's last name. Yeah, that's the way I took it. I kept thinking it's Admiral Akbar, and I'm like, what's going to happen in this episode? Oh, it's going to be, 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 oh, be calamari overload. That's what I'm thinking. All the trap. Um, before we get into this, I just want to say, Dr. Manhattan's always been my favorite character in Watchmen, so like the prospect of having an episode that's going to be focused on the on him would just like made me super excited, and this episode no doubt delivered, because it's excellent, as we'll get into, but it... Like what? Like I have one Watchmen poster in my room still, and it's of Doctor Manhattan. So it's like, yes, give me all of this right now, and we're gonna talk about this episode. And like, I, I have the same regard that I have for the one from a couple weeks ago, the one where she's stuck in Dreamland, essentially, like it's her memory world. I think it's, there's just really excellent filmmaking going on here. I know we're talking about these episodes like in detail anyway, but as far as just my overall regard for this show and specifically these episodes, this one really, really worked for me. I was just super into it. I'm going to guess that in your college years, Dr. Manhattan on Mars was your desktop wallpaper. (laughs) Well, it's happening now, so it's currently my desktop wallpaper. (laughs) (laughs) It always has has been his uh, desktop wallpaper. Exactly. This episode starts with Dr. Manhattan uh, flashing. Actually, we just see all of Dr. Manhattan is kind of shot obtusely. In this uh, sequence, it's not until later that we really get like a good full-on look at Doctor Manhattan, uh, you know, without a mask on or not from. Like we see a lot of shots of his hands. Well, we never do. Know? We never get a shot no. of like, his face. Never. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Not until la- well, not until later. No, even then, it's not. We never see John Osterman's face. I'll put it that right. way. Right. Okay, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to spoil what we're going to talk about 20 minutes. Yeah, now, yeah, so. yeah. Sorry, Jerry. <laughs> good, good on you for getting HBO, though, subscribing so you can watch Watchmen, Jerry. But, I mean, sorry about spoiling the episode for you as we want to talk about it on the podcast. He picks up a Dr. Manhattan mask off the ground. It's VVN day. And as he's walking down the street, we see a mural of Dr. Manhattan drawn on the side of a building. It's the same mural we saw in the last episode, but it's faded and much older. Uh, this is 2009, I believe, if we look at the timeline. Yeah, it's, it's 2009. He walks into a bar. As he, he as he's walking into the bar, he's walking into the credits, saying, a god walks into a bar. 
um, and gets two beers and asks Angela to dinner. And he keeps asking her to dinner as it goes on. And uh, she immediately tells him no. But he says, if I can guess why you're here drinking alone, will you let me sit down and join you? And uh, she says, sure. And he says, you're here to uh, commemorate the anniversary of your parents' death. And she you know, shrugs and says, okay, and sits down. Now she gets to, he gets two beers, just like the two beers from the graphic novel, you know, that uh, uh, him and his first uh, Janie, his first Janie Slater, uh, shared at, at Los, uh, Los Alamos. Um, so that was a nice callback to that. There's some really good back and forth banner here. Yeah, it's great. Oh, yeah. Talk. It's, it's great dialogue, um, great writing. Yeah, it's just awesome the way they, and it's very true to the Manhattan character because of the way he, perceives time that's what makes um, it tricky too because it's like i but that's what i really like about manhattan it's a guy that it, it could just be like a robot kind of thing or just like something that seems he has a soul and that's what makes him fascinating to me he knows he like his his ability has him in such a unique like perspective on everything mm-hmm. time obviously yet he's still like He's still a he's still a man. Like he still has like emotion. He still feels. Right. He can still understand humor. He's not like um like a droid or whatever that like yeah, he's not process. a robot. He's not Drax. I think that's right. that's very old. He's not Drax. Right. He can't like it's not like he can't process emotions or sarcasm or wit or what have you. Mm. He has all that. Yet he still is also this being that comprehends everything at the same time. I yeah. find that utterly fascinating. So to have to, to like make that work on a TV show. Lindelof, yeah, like in whatever writers he's working with, uh, Jeff Jensen, I believe, is the other. Well, oh, that room, it, it's just, yeah, yeah, yeah just everyone. It's a lot of collab- collaborative. Uh, uh-huh. Nicole Castle, they, I know, is a, is a big contributor. He always yes, talks about that room. Like every decision that's made, it's made in that group in that room together. But uh, on your point, Aaron, you know, Drax was better at going invisible. Just you're not wrong. Yeah, yeah. And he's in my room right now. How can you tell? Yeah. He's looking at him. (laughs) By the way, uh, Manhattan in the bar scenes is still played by uh, uh, Abdul Mateen. Yeah. 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 Oh, is he? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Which makes sense if you want to, I guess, for like as far as like the chemistry goes or whatnot. Like, I think that that's a good choice to be like, let's have it consistent in that regard. The voice, the voice work is amazing, too, between that and like Cal Manhattan that we see later. Yeah. You know, the voice is different. He has a little more Cal inflection. Sure. Later when he's actually looking like Cal. So. Yeah. I guess after living in that, you know. Well, anyway, we'll, I'm sorry. We're getting ahead, ahead of ourselves here. 30 minutes from now, we'll be talking about <laughs> that scene. And 10 minutes from now, we'll be talking about this scene. Um, we're talking so, about it now. You know, she, well, she keeps asking about, uh, you know, she could, you know, if you're Dr. Manhattan, why are you here? Is this some kind of Zeus thing? Uh, I thought it was hilarious. Mm-hmm. You know, when Zeus would come down to, you know, because he was uh, fall in love with a immortal woman. So it is kind of a Zeus thing. <laughs> well, yeah, he's just, he's just not a That's terrible That's how you get a Hercules. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's just not a terrible person. That's the difference. Right. Right. Exactly. Or a terrible god, I guess. But he says, you know, but the whole... The whole thing about him being unstuck in time, kind of like Billy Pilgrim and him like experiencing time the way he does, kind of annoys her in a way. Mm-hmm. She keeps trying to, oh, so we're going to be together and we're going to do this and all this other stuff and the back, just great banter. And she's like, you know, well then where have you been for twenty years? And then he's explaining to her that she, he's been on Europa, 
the moon of Jupiter, you know, because uh, he explains that that video feed from Mars, it's a simulation. It's not really him. He hasn't been on Mars in, in years. He instead went to Europa to, to make life. And this whole sequence is incredible. Awesome. Like the way the way he like it's just the cinematography, the effects, like the way um, you know it's like the Genesis machine from Star Trek Two. Uh, oh. Just every, everything grows, and uh, he talks about how he he creates these two people uh, from microbes in the water and gives them like self awareness, mm-hmm. and then he gives them this manor house, the same manor house where Vit uh, is now. Um, is connected to his childhood, um, so they're like filling in a lot of the gaps. And of oh course, my gosh, yeah. Um, so I mean, so those those fetuses were all placed there by Doctor Manhattan. Um, they they really use some cool like uh, uh, like biblical imagery too, you know, like them like basically wandering the Garden of Eden, you know, you know, in their their odd way with Doctor Manhattan. Um, and then we uh, we learn who he base these people on Miss Crookshanks and Philip. They're a uh, in uh, he but when he emigrated with his father. Um, this was a uh, nice to, touch. To America, they stayed in that manor house um, on their way to America uh, during the war. Or and uh, they, he is in, he hides in the closet while Miss Crook, the actual uh, Mister Phillips and Miss Crookshanks. Uh, we're having, you know, flagrant relations, I guess. That's brown chicken, uh, brown um, Yeah, they were talking a, about a, dust, and there was, like, daemons. Oh, wait, that's the other show. That's uh, the yeah. Dark Materials. <laughs> That'd be James McAvoy. That's a different different guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway. If I stayed awake through this episode. <clears throat> hey uh, Hard dig. <laughs> Another hot take from Russ. <laughs> Sorry. Um, they ex- they give him a copy of the Bible. <laughs> they take him aside, but they tell him they make him promise uh, that he will someday create something beautiful. And his you know him them telling him about Adam and Eve or whatever because you know his father is Jewish. He never had a Bible in the home. Um, does that becomes his inspiration? And that's where he got Miss Phillips and Miss Crookshank from. Um, they go back to the bar, and, uh, and again, the more great banter between the two of them. Um, considering like most of this movie, most of this episode and the meat of it, it's just the two of them sitting at that table, talking. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it's it's amazing. It's you know just as riveting as like all the other episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, we then uh, find out that Angela has a solution to them being together. Uh, without him causing uh, a scene, you know, causing, uh, drawing attention. Um, she takes him down to the morgue and first shows him these three guys. And then it seems like she's, um, like saving Cal for last, kind of, <laughs> when she shows him. And then he takes on Cal's form, but he still has the Manhattan symbol on his forehead. Uh, he forgets and leaves that there. It, when she's like presenting the various bodies of the people that he could take a form of like that, it speaks to like how good the acting is where you have to, because you have to play it where 
Manhattan knows she's going to make the decision. She knows he knows he's going to make some certain decision. Right. And yet she still has to go through them. And that plays throughout this episode as far as like knowing one knows something already and still doing it. Like that's such a, again, that's such a unique way to present something. So it's having these emotions of I'm going to select a person for you to represent. And, but I'm going to give you these other options first and we're going to have a conversation. Like that's good writing. It's just, it's really well done yeah. and it's well performed. Like it just, it's very impressive. And you could tell which one Angela preferred. Yeah. Definitely, you know. Um, so they have a, uh, as they're, you know, they're talking in the, the bar, he says, you know, six months we have a fight. And they have, like, the most unfight fight ever. It's like, but I don't want to argue with you. And she goes, well, we're not having this fight. <laughs> and he's like, but we are destined to have this fight. Because it comes it comes out of the knowing that they know they know already thing again. So right, it's like exactly. it's such a, like a, a way to manifest something that you know is going to happen, and that's why it happens. And it's like, I mean, there's a lot of we, we haven't talked about this, but there's a lot of like you know the whole egg and chicken the egg symbol, chicken in the egg symbolism and what have you. And this is yeah. exactly it as far as this thing's going to happen because it was always going to happen. But did it need to happen to begin with? I don't know, but it was always going to happen. It's so like you're running into right. circles, like trying to figure this out, and you have to act this. It's crazy. <laughs> Right, I forgot about the part where he, he conjures the egg to mm-hmm. kind of, uh, um, she says, okay, conjure life here, and he pulls out an egg from his hand, and then cracks the egg, and puts, she cracks the egg, puts it in a beer, and then he drinks it down. Um, at this point, you know, she's just frustrated with the fact that he, you know, at first it kind of gave her security that Cal knew the future or whatever, but now she's telling Cal to leave. So he goes to visit Vite, naked. Mm-hmm. In Antarctica. Yeah. That dude's in some shape. That's all I'm going to say. Hmm. I was like looking in the mirror. Lori's going to have to get a new toy to complete her collection. I just like that they went went back to Antarctica. Yeah. 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 And and the cool part is it's like all run down. Uh Uh-huh. Like uh, he goes in, he sees uh, a Vite in there. Uh, watching, you know, his wall of TVs, but, like, most of them are burned out. <laughs> and the rest are all on one channel, and he can't get it to work. Um, he's, Vite is, like, stressing out over the fact he can't read humanity anymore. No. You know what I mean? Like, he's kind of lost his touch for being able to um, prognosticate what's going to happen but um, at this point. you got to think about, like, what, this is 2009, right? So this is... What was that 20, 25 years after? Years later, yeah. So it, it's like the idea that he had a solution for how to create world peace, but because humans are so stubborn, they won't go along with this. Like they're still doing their own like stuff that's messing with his whole grand design, and that has to be frustrating. Like I mean, for, for someone like him, um, and that's why he and Manhattan are such good foils for each other. Like the, the these kind of opposites that still ha- align over what they what belief they have that's like like whatever greater good they want to serve it's we don't get a lot of them together but this scene plays really well as far as letting the letting their kind of ideologies align once more in its own way it's such an old take if if superman and lex had really been going at each other for all these years that it would just change into something like this uh i i like there was one line i was kind of like made me kind of turn my head a little bit he goes um uh, Vite tells uh, Cal, you know, Cal Manhattan, you know, this kind of appropriation is considered quite problematic these days. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, he's 
originally a white guy who became a blue guy. <laughs> it, it was like, you know, Robert Downey Jr. and Tropic Thunder. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so many levels. We find out this is where the squid rains are coming from. Bite's got some sort of uh, teleportation device to drop squids. <laughs> Even the way he's dumping it, it's like he's been doing this so long that it's just a chore. Yeah. Plus all the equipment's like outdated. All yeah. That. All the t- you know the screens are all like CRTs and stuff. Uh, it's all it's all old school and kind of broken broken down, just like him. Yeah, yeah. He came. Doctor Manhattan came basically because he needed Vite's help to become more human and less omniscient. And then uh, while while he's talking to Doctor Manhattan, uh, he knows something. I forget what it was. He knew about him, and he's like, "Well, how did you find that out?" And he goes, "Oh." A little elephant told me. <laughs> so there is some sort of cahoots going on between True oh, and, for sure. and, yeah. and Vite, for sure. Um, Vite says that they could insert a device into his... Pre- he asks him if he has a brain. You know, he's like, I can see physiology, but what about physiology? You know, are you, are you, you know, do you have a brain? And he says, if we could... Um, you know, put a device in your prefrontal cortex that short circuits your memory. You could only access its powers in life-threatening situations. So this explains what happened mm-hmm. on White Night mm-hmm. with Angela and Cal. That's um, part about this whole episode is it filled in most of the puzzle pieces. A lot of it, yeah. yeah. Um, the funny thing, the best part about this, though, is like... Uh, do you have, you know, how long would it take to make such a thing? And Vite, of course, playing to his strengths from, his, from uh, the original book, uh, you know, a Watchmen book, he's like, I made it 30 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> he said, remember uh, trying to get you in the, the tachyon, tachyon accelerator and pull you apart? That was, that was plan B. This this was plan A. And uh, he pulls out a the, the um, Manhattan symbol that we saw Angela pry out of his skull earlier. And uh, we find out again, we get it re-emphasized, the tachyon particles are a blind spot for John. That was also in the book, but they, they re-emphasize it here. Um, and it turns out that Vite wasn't imprisoned on you in Europa. He asked John to take him, send him there, because he, you know, he felt like he had no purpose left on the planet, and the clone's only purpose would be to love him. And Vite would have somebody be able to be worshipped, and they would have someone to worship. Yeah. A prison of his own making. Yeah, so at first he says it sounds, Vite even says it sounds like paradise to him. And then, uh, I guess after a few years, it didn't anymore, right? No, less than that, given we, I mean, the first time we see a cake, it's only been one year, he's already pissed yeah. off. <laughs> yeah. Which I get, yeah. like, and I feel like he could have had a little bit more foresight about you know the the concept of being in a place like this and being all you know on one's lonesome and having nothing but ad like not friendship not love but admiration to like the highest of degrees it's like oh, that's not going to be fun i think but, it i think it also hurt him is that he's like johnny's kind of been away from humanity for so long right he's i mean yeah he's an odd duck to begin with <laughs> he's not yeah he's an odd duck to begin with but at least he interacted with people but as he you know after he did what he you know as he was getting closer to, to doing his plan. I mean, he was kind of pushing back from humanity. 
a lot. You and, kill like you kill two billion people. Yeah, you're gonna have it. It's gonna change things. Yeah, change things a little bit. Um, Cal comes back to Angela, tells him what it does, and uh, he's gonna make himself immaterial so he can place it in, or she can place it into his right. head. Even catches up with the jokey that was told when he was talking to her. Remember? Yeah. And uh, from there, we go back to the present day. John seems a little confused. A little? And and he looks like Cal, still. <laughs> he does. Which was awesome. Um, and she says also, something about it, too, right? You can't look like that. Like, the kids. And then, yeah, the kids. And then he goes out and... First, he's, like, walking on the water in the backyard on the pool. <laughs> and she's like, you can't let the kids... He's like, no, I want the kids to see me walking on the water. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and then there's another part where he's... Uh, she uh, she asked him if he remembers why the clock is broken. And so I guess he has all of Cal's memories, too, because he remembers that right. that was the white night. They shot the clock, and, you know, that's when he saved her. Well, it, and then... Yeah, because oh, it comes to it because the... Like as it flashes to Vite too, as well as far as like how this thing's supposed to the thing in his head's supposed to function. As far as okay, you can have a re, a reaction that would like spur on, you know, like the natural intentions of your like uh, kind of you, you click into it just by default if something like terrible would be happening or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Right. The scene switches to ten years in the past uh, when Cal meets up with Will Reeves, uh, Angela's grandfather. And Angela creates a great paradox here. It's awesome. Oh my gosh! I didn't <laughs> see that coming. She's like, "Are, are you you're experiencing all this at the same time?" Yes. And then uh, she says, "Ask him how he knew that Jim Crawford was part of Cyclops and had a KKK robe in his closet." And he asks him, and Will Reeves replies, "Who the hell's Jim Crawford?" <laughs> Don't. <laughs> So she basically set the dominoes in motion that got Crawford killed. Yeah. Um, by by Will. Incredible. I thought that was really really nice little touch there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's time for John to make waffles. He starts to mix waffles, and uh, even though Angela's explaining to him that the Seven Cavalry's coming for him, and John's like, "No, they're already here. They're outside." But I'm hungry. I want some waffles. And she smashes the eggs on the ground. More egg symbolism uh, from you know earlier in the episode. And uh, suits up with her best Rambo gear to go take them out. And he says, this is the moment. This is the moment where I tell you everything is helpless, that you're going to go try to defend me. Um, this is the moment I fell in love with you. And Angela's like, all the time we've been together, this is the moment here. <laughs> so Angela goes out and just oh. goes in crazy insane with the the, uh, the headshots on the Seventh Cavalry. She's she fighting in a, fear too, right? right. Yeah, yeah. That, oh. that also adds to the angst of the of the battle. The this whole sequence, I think, it's designed to look cool by default, just because it. It does. I mean, yeah, the way it's it shot or what. But at the same time, the use the use of music and just again, mm-hmm. just the fact that it is a Doctor Manhattan based episode. Just I know there's tragedy at the end of this. Like, yeah, there's no doubt. There's no thing yeah. that's coming. There's no other thought in my mind as far as 
what could ha- transpire here, even when things seem like they're on the upside, because it's just it's not going to go that way. He, well, he said right away, it's gonna, yeah, it's going to end. Exactly, it's going to end in tragedy. Ten years, going to end in and and I'm just but like it's <laughs> they're interpreting death lately is not like my favorite thing to do um and so watching something like this uh, something about myself i've just i've discovered in like you know the past year is the the comprehension you can have as far as being logical enough to understand that you're going to get through something and it's Mm going to be better but at the same time knowing you're still going to have all of the emotions you do not want to have or at least have to reckon with and so watching this episode i got so emotional because You're still, I'm like watching her go through this and knowing Manhattan's going to be involved in somehow and just thinking, just go, just te- you can teleport, just go away. And it's not going to work because she's still going to go out there and try to save him. Mm-hmm. And he's still going to have to do something else. But the whole time watching this play out, I'm just thinking, just go inside or just tell him, just do anything different, do anything different. And that would make things different. But I know that can't happen. Yeah. Logically, it's always going to end this way. And so it's like this whole sequence is just throwing me through a loop of things as far as like, yeah, it's well made. It's also just so heavy. <laughs> it's loaded. It's it's loaded mm-hmm. with so much. Yeah. Uh, Angela comes out, you know, guns blazing, as I mentioned. And uh, he um, just when she's like, you know, getting shot at and running out of bullets and running out of time. Uh, Cal comes out and makes heads explode. Uh, just by a wave of his hand, of course, because you know he's Doctor Manhattan. Yeah, and uh, and the score is crushing it at this point too. Oh yeah, <laughs> the music so is good. incredible. Um, so he's just taking them all out, and then just like, see, I saved you. And he's like, no, Angelo. She still doesn't get it. And one of the cavalry guys pops up, hits him with a, some sort of uh, tachyon device, I think they call it, and he's gone. Did he say sorry? Yeah, he said sorry yeah. to her. Right? Yeah. But here's the thing. If someone told you, it's like, look, you could have an incredible relationship for 10 years, mm-hmm. but then it would end in tragedy. Would you take that deal, you know? Yeah. I think I would. If it was one of the greatest loves of your life yeah. or whatever. Yeah. I mean, you take, at, it, it's always going to be at the beginning. You think, I'll just hold on to the good parts, the memory, you know, the beginning of it. You, you, you enjoy the hell out of it. But you're always going to get to this point, though. Yeah, it's like, I don't know, it's just, that's like the key question here. I mean, through the whole process of her, him trying to get the yeah. second date with Angela yeah. and everything else, it's like, you know, even if you knew with all certainty, you know, that you would have 10 great years with somebody, mm-hmm. would that be enough? Would that be enough for you to take, you know, take the risk of, of being with them? And that, and also that part of her that refuses to believe it oh, he won't right. get out of it like I, he can't she can't save him she refuses right. to believe this no matter right. what that's that part that made him go yeah that's that part Laurie has too in her that yep. uh yeah causing a fall in love with her. and uh, the episode ends with uh Angela accepting a dinner date with John uh as we got an after credit scene this time, though, yes. we hadn't had before. I we almost I made clicked a mistake. off. I almost <laughs> clicked off, and I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> yeah, I thought I made a mistake. Like, what? Did I miss something? Did... Well, first it was just the audio. Yeah, yeah. Like you hear a sploosh. Like it was out of sync. 
Right, and you're just like splooshing, like, no, um, are you going to stay? No. Sploosh. Are you going to stay? No. And you hear that a few times, mm -hmm. and then we cut to the video, going with the audio, and it's all the Phillips and Crookshanks uh, lined up, Vites, uh, like, um, chained to a tree, tied to a tree, uh, spread-eagled, much like Conan on the, uh, the tree, the tree of despair, but uh, he's getting smushed in the face with those terrible tomatoes from before. <laughs> Every time uh, uh, one of them is coming up and saying, "Will you stay?" and he says no, and they smash a tomato on his face. Um, then there's another scene where he's in a prison uh, cell, reading Fog Dancing again, uh, and he's getting a cake delivered to him by the game warden. And he's reading a book. About, he says he's reading a book about loneliness, which is something the guard can't understand. And the the um, the guard says, you know, he was the. I understand loneliness. I was the first to emerge from the water. I saw him create everything in the world. So he was like the prototypical Adam, I guess, that was in the flashback in this episode. He was the very first one. And then uh, he says, "Why isn't heaven enough? Not enough for you?" And Veidt says it's because this isn't his home, and his eight billion children are likely crying out in desperation for him to return. Heaven is not enough because heaven doesn't need me. This scene was very kind of Count of Monte Cristo. You know? Oh, yeah. And then uh, the game warden says, I hope you enjoy your bloody cake. <laughs> and leaves. But buried in the cake is a horseshoe. Aha! Uh -huh. For some reason... For some reason, Vite is thrilled, and it looks like he's going to start trying to tunnel his way out of there. Well, wasn't wasn't he asked every time in the prior cakes presenting about giving him a horseshoe? And he's well, like, like the, the first one. The first one we see, he tries. He asks for like a fork or whatever, and he gives him, or like he tries. Yeah. He hands you what you think is going to be a fork, and it's a horseshoe, and it's like. And we're at, at the audience. We're just like, what the hell is this? So now, so it's like a perfect like plant to get you to be like, oh, this makes so much sense. It's a nice clicking together moment. Yeah. And that was the uh, the after credit scene. So you know what I'm struggling with in this in this episode. I, well, I struggle with the fact that it's very well done. Like everything, you know, the the all the stuff between. Cal Manhattan and Angela and the back and forth and her creating her own paradox and all that kind of stuff. Like all that stuff is really well done. What they're doing with Manhattan is fantastic. I just have a hard time and maybe they'll, and I'm hoping they'll explain it. Maybe they'll explain it. Like why he came back. Like the whole point at the end of Watchmen to me was he's done with humanity. He's done with, this earth he's going off to do something different and to go kind of either create new universes or find his place so what i don't i don't quite understand and they haven't they haven't Maybe done he enough missed something well but they haven't done enough for me and, and done anything compelling enough for me to be as a reason what as to why he came back like i don't to me it it speaks to the kind of the paradoxical nature of Manhattan's character to begin with, because yeah. he always came back. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, a, and it's, it goes back to what I'm saying about his kind of humanity that's always within him. It's because he felt he's a, he's a lover. He fell in love. Mm -hmm. Why did he fall in love? Because he always fell in love. 
there's no like definitive answer because that's just the nature of his being to begin with. There's yeah, no why reason he, why he, why he there's no like answer I can give you that's going to stay yeah. like it's because of this. It's just because that's how it is that he know that that's what's going to happen. And so it why did he look? Why did he go with Laurie when he knew that that wasn't even going to work out? Like, what would be the what's the point? I mean, yeah, but I, I guess given the events at the end uh, end of the comic, like it was it was so dramatic, so tragic, and such a big thing that he he truly felt his purpose was elsewhere. Like, what did no, you say to Adrian at the end? Well, yeah. nothing ever ends. Well, you know what? He spent twenty years on Europa, create life, and all kinds of other stuff. He got a little lonely. You know, I, it's like a, the, the thing that got that really like struck home to me in this episode at the beginning. When Regina King says, uh, or Angela says, that, you know, is this like a Zeus thing? Because that really like resonated with me. It's like, okay, you know, the gods are supposed to be up above us and you know are you know creating our destinies or whatever, but they still fall in love with mortals. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And there are stories all through mythology like that. You know, so that's that's where it kind of was for me. Is like he just really loved her like Aaron said he always did well just the way it was the determinism and and also to answer on for Russ is um in the scene where he's basically explaining to Vite um what he created his own garden of Eden if you will and all that other stuff I mean that ends with him abandoning them because they didn't have anything else to offer him is basically the way it portrayed to me so maybe he came back to Earth because he's like, okay, I couldn't get it on Earth. I can't get satisfaction here. I'm just going to go back and try again with humanity. Is the way I took it. So yeah, I, I guess. I mean, again, it's not enough to to make me, you know, toss it aside or throw my hands up or whatever. I just, it's just something I struggle with as I was watching it. I'm like, what's his? What's the motivation and the purpose? Because I, I just, I guess I, I always envision and maybe that's part of the problem it's just my own bias i I always just envisioned him going off and and that was it like his time on earth was done he's got other things to do other places to be um and and other events to to deal with and so to have him back on earth for this i i guess I guess I'm just struggling with. I mean I mean I hear I hear what you're saying and I I mean the the, the I mean the shorthand version is well it's a TV show and they, that's it's that, that's what the plot sure. requires. I yeah. mean that's that's the best way you can right. say. Well, yeah. I mean, I, that's I, the real I, reason. But, I, yeah. I I I don't disagree with you as far. I didn't I couldn't say, I wouldn't say I struggled with it but I would but I will say yes I also asked myself this question why does he come back and on just the best way I can contend with is what I've already said as far as that's Manhattan. He's a lover. Like for all of his omnipotence that he has, and he's, powers, he's yeah. still. It's at heart, he's still a guy. He's a softy. Like he's still a guy that fun, that knows. He's still his limitations, right? Yeah. And yeah. He's, well, he's not perfect, even though he's perfect. And as we're as we're talking about it, one of the things that, and given the way the episode ends, and I don't know if if he's gone, gone, or or yeah. possibly coming back, but the only other thing I can think of is maybe. Okay, he's done it all, seen it all, lived it all. Mm-hmm. Like this is a way for him to finally die. Like that's the experience he's the that's one experience he's lacking. Too. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. So it's I was like also okay, because he's he like we've said, you know, he experiences the past, present, and future all at once. Except for he had this ten year blind spot, which now we've learned what that ten years was. 
Um, so he's always seen that tragic ending. So he's always known how and when he was going to die. And just as with everything else, he doesn't do anything to hinder events unfolding as he's seen them in the in what is it's almost like it's about. another adventure for him, right? It's another yeah. experience that he. But he had to come back or that ending would not happen. And then he wouldn't be able to experience something different that's not humanity, which is, Mm -hmm. you know, what he said he wanted to begin with. Yeah. Yeah. And I think think he knows, of course, how it's all going to play out. So. Yeah, I think he does, too. I mean, the other thing is, it's inevitable. Like, that's, I mean, regardless of whatever choices he makes, there's an inevitability because his head tells him that. Like, Do you guys think he's, I mean, do you think he's truly dead? Like, do you think that was it? I think so. Um, I hope not. I really hope he comes back, and it's comics, yeah, I want so to they, say all, no. they always can come I, back. But I, I think, think that is. he saw this as his death, and that he it was inevitable, like you said. And even Angela couldn't save him, even though she thought she did. And he's like, "Sorry." I think. Period. This is the end of Manhattan. The cynical side of me says no because just the way TV works and right. what have you. Right. And if there's multiple seasons, you can do more stuff and bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. But I mean, the emotional side of me, because of how caught up I was in this episode, I don't know if it would negate the feelings I have or rub me the wrong way if he came back. But like, I like holding on to <laughs> as much as it got to me. I, 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 I want whatever that is to be like, I want to be able to hold on to that feeling. So if like you negate that, Right, it'd be like I don't know, killing off Superman, and then immediately saying that he's going to come back again. Like it's just, <laughs> I I'd rather have it be permanent to a point, I guess. Well, I guess we'll find out someday. Yeah, I'd rather I'd rather have Doctor Manhattan than Doctor He Hawkin, though. <laughs> you got that right. I mean, if Lube Man saves him, then I mean, I might just wow. be all about it. You know, what if Lube Man becomes the ultimate being? Do they dare? Oh, now there you go. Like I, I got this Laura um, and he jumps in front of some beam or something. <laughs> like it gets yeah. irradiated. <laughs> I I just hope Lori gets one scene to say, you know, goodbye or whatever or hello or something to John. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be that would be really cool. Every time I hear the name Lube Man, it makes me think of the song Spoon Man and I start singing it but with yeah. Lube Man in my head. Man. Whoa. Grease mm-hmm. me up another time. Okay, well, that, <laughs> that gets right to the end of it. Seven and eight of Watchmen, when we watch Watchmen. Who wants to tell the fine folks where they can be found on the interwebs? How about you go first, Mr. Aaron Newworth? You can find me singing uh, Lube Man renditions at the local bars, but um, you can also find me on the podcast that I co-host with my friend Abe. It is called Out Now with Aaron and Abe. We talk about the weekly movie releases and other fun stuff. We just had an episode covering The Irishman, which was a lot of fun. We have a new commentary track. We have a new commentary track for uh, episode three, Revenge of the Sith, which was really cool. Mm. Um, and we got plenty of other. I mean, we got a Star Wars movie coming out, so there's gonna be fun, a lot of fun episodes over there. There is. There's a Star Wars movie coming out. Yeah, it's it's a <laughs> privately funded, so it's smaller than normal. Um, okay. I also write uh, movie reviews and TV reviews over at WeLiveEntertainment.com. I'm hoping that I'll have the time to write about the Watchmen finale this Sunday. But regardless, you can find all my stuff over there, and I'm on Twitter at Aaron's PS4. How about you, Mr. Taylor? Uh, yeah, well, uh, there's a, another major event going on because there's always major events going on in the, in the other part of the DC world. 
uh, with the Crisis of Infinite Earths, you can hear about the we we prime you for the for the uh, beginning of watching that event uh, on DC All Stars. We uh, catch up on the, what's been going on prior to that and building to this crossover. So we and plus we plan on uh, uh, in a couple days uh, if everything goes okay, uh, maybe doing a a show catching up on the first half of. Uh, Oh, I want to for sure. The infinite, uh, you're not, uh, you're not ready for what's going to happen, Joe. Uh, you're only on episode one. Yeah. You wait till you get to part two and three. Um, so yeah, so we'll we'll probably be doing that, and that might be something jointly on Nothing's On and DC All Stars, depending on how we figure it out. Uh, Donnie will probably be on there with us as well. Um. And so, yeah, so you can check all that out uh, on the Taylor Network of podcasts. Uh, just look up Taylor Network and the feeds has all the podcasts that are on on the network there. Russ, the man who posed as uh, who uh, became Mothman Jr. in the 50s. Yes. <laughs> um, just right here, HHWLOD and over at uh, Gotham by Geeks on the Taylor Network. And Rich, the real lube man of the group. That's right. Um <laughs> Well, Daryl mentioned DC All-Stars, so we were talking about that stuff. As a matter of fact, we had a little impromptu conversation before we started recording tonight that Daryl may put out as a bonus. Um, I'm really looking yeah. forward to talking about Crisis on there. I'm also uh, HHWLOD for the Walking Dead TV podcast, and then, of course, this podcast you're listening to. And you can catch me on all the socials at ChubToad01. Awesome sauce. So until next week's finale, which I am so psyched to, mm-hmm. to see. Thanks, guys. Tick-tock, tick-tock. See you then. Later. Later. Our guardian star lost all his glow the day that I lost you. He lost all his glitter the day you said no and his silver turned to blue. Like him, I am doubtful that your love is true. But if you decide to call on me, ask for Mr. Blue. I'm Mr. Blue. When you say you love me, then prove it by going out on the slab Proving your love isn't true Call me Mr. Blue I'm Mr. Blue When you say you're sorry Then turn around heading for the lights of town Hurting me through and through Call me Mr. Blue I stay at home at night I stay at home Right by the phone at night But you won't call And I won't hurt my pride Call me Mr. Blue 
While you paint the town A bright red to turn it upside down I'm 